Welcome to Wednesday at 9 p.m. Season 1, Episode 9. On tonight's show, we delve into the enigmatic story and culture of the legendary vampire, mysterious evening bed assaults, and how royal families truly destroyed their bloodline. I'm Nick, and joining me is Aaron and Frank. Wow, Nick. What a, what a hook. What a hook. You know, he didn't I, tell us this time, <laughs> ahead of time, what it was. He wanted yeah. us to hear it right at recording, so that's great. I feel like Nick always picks the craziest topics. Yeah, he does. I got... Yeah, I mean, we were definitely finding our flow, I think, right? I've got kind of boring research ones. Nick's got crazy <laughs> stuff. I think Aaron's a great medium in the middle. He's... Aaron's the boots on the ground researcher. Yeah, I'm the French medium. The French... Yeah, <laughs> no, there you go. Please, no. So great. Uh, and, oh, in terms of announcements, uh, like and subscribe and leave <laughs> reviews on our website on each episode page. That's it. Anything for you guys? Any shout-outs? Uh, I don't think so. Troy didn't tell us to this time. Yeah, I'm going to shout out <laughs> Troy from Nick again. <laughs> I'm going to shout out to Aaron. Okay. Uh, let's. <laughs> what vampires have you got for us, Nick? So, I found this book as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for vampires. Because it's just like, I didn't want to do anything too modern or like you know there are things that talking um, about like historical issue or not historical issues like societal like metaphors for vampires i'm like that is boring i'm not gonna do that <laughs> but i found on amazon much like with the kinderhook creature this book called vampires the occult truth by the authors just goes by constantinos that's it. <laughs> I don't have like one name. Yeah, and I, I checked it up on Wiki. A mononym. He, he has a very small Wikipedia page. Um, he is an occultist and neo pagan, so you know it's good. That's fantastic. Um, That's great. Brand. He has a lot of other books, but this is just the one that I looked at. Are they all similar to this sort of topic? Like uh, yes, it's all occult. Yeah. Like his his like. I don't know if his claim to fame or what, but <laughs> <laughs> there is claim to occult fame. Um, he had this one on like summoning spirits that I think was pretty popular and was referenced a couple times in the book as well. I think that was the, maybe that was the first book he wrote, and that's why he mentioned Interesting. it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But his what he wanted to do with writing this book, like I said, you know, not these all like fantastical tales or uh, like looking at other like metaphors for vampires he just wanted to present like this complete just like focusing on vampires just looking at the reality of what vampirism is and he wanted to separate truth from fiction that was his whole point so like bram stoker and rice and all the other authors that talk about vampires and any other ways not really considered here all the abilities we know of not oh, really so here what did what so i'm very curious to hear what what did this guy base like what, what was this guy's sources for compiling if he's throwing away like he the, does, the literary so accounts he does have a bibliography at the end of the book that would he be does, interesting bibliography. i do think it is when he actually like references people's books like other authors uh -huh. but yeah Awesome. He source Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> he he definitely um these are like accounts that he's heard 
there are a couple near the end that it's accounts he's dealt with himself, like, you know, personally. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so anyway, like I said, we're gonna talk about vampires in the sense of, like, in, uh, like, the real world. We're not in a book setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's no sparkling, good-looking, hot, sexy vampires. Oh, man. Yeah. Like Unless, Aaron? Well, yeah, like Aaron. Well, guys, I guess I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're going to break down these types into two different kinds. There are physical vampires and phantom-like vampires. And again, this is all according to Constantinos. So, from what a physical vampire is described as, it's they're actually not that pale as we might see in, like, the movies and the books. Hmm. Um, their skin color had a reddish hinge to it, typically. And, like, hundreds of years ago, when there were reports of seeing them, they were reported wearing what they were buried in. So, like, you know, a shroud or something. Interesting. A lot of, a lot of times, the bodies appeared bloated. Um, they obviously had a horrible odor, or rancid breath, because they are undead. Um, long fingernails and hair, which, you know, apparently keep growing if you're a vampire. So if you're a vampire, make sure to keep getting your hair cut and trimming your nails. <laughs> <laughs> and we do have, there are still sharp teeth. Sharp teeth are still present, so we do have that. And sometimes blazing red eyes. However... interesting. The physical vampires are reported the least often than the phantom-like ones, who are, you know, are very apparition-like, but it, but they feed off of people while they're in bed at night, obviously, like a nighttime attack. Can I just say, the physical description sounds a little bit like zombies, you know? Like, very much, literally, like, yeah, undead bodies, just risen, like, walking around, bloated, stinky. We'll get into some, like, in some of the stories, especially the, uh, when we get into the physical, the physical vampire stories, some, and you could say, like, some parts of it could be explained away by the body, like, at what happens to a body after death, and just the lack of knowing that at the time, but we'll get into that later. Like the glowing red eyes after death? Classic, yeah, well, uh, well, someone just put the LEDs in because oh, yeah. know, <laughs> ancient technology and whatever. The funeral home. No, they put rubies in and uh, lit a candle. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, there are also powers that the vampires have that we know in movies and books and TV shows. Um, Constantino separates powers that he has read or experienced into separate categories. There are the primary powers, which um, the vampires use to obtain their sustenance, so living off of blood or uh, psychic energy, which we'll get into. But great strength is apparently a reported power, Mm. which we do see in a lot of, like, undead sort of supernatural creatures. So that does pop up. But then there are secondary powers, and those are the abilities that the vampires don't need to obtain the sustenance. Some include still being able to 
commingle with the living, if you know what I'm saying. No, what are you saying? Have sexual relations. I understand. What are you saying? All right. I've never heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) And there's this idea that a, a children born between a vampire and a living person can apparently sense the undead and are able to destroy vampires. That's so cool. Able to destroy vampires, yeah. did you say? With ease, according so to they're Constantinos. Like natural vampire hunters? Yes, basically. So why would a vampire ever make like a half vampire hey, if hey. if they could easily be <laughs> killed by it? They can be lustful too. You know? Aaron's face is <laughs> I can't <laughs> That is that that was up so many questions. This, I can't wait to hear stories. Like, what? There, there is a story in here about a vampire. <laughs> Thank okay. goodness. Okay. We'll okay. That. Um, another power to kind of round it out is that some, in some cultures with their own, like, idea of the vampire yeah. can actually become mortal again. What? As opposed to, like, immortal or undead. But Do we'll, they just... Oh, you have, do you have stories about yeah, there, that? Yeah, there is a story in one particular culture where that happens. Awesome. That's in, interesting. In Malaysia. Huh. Okay. And so, yeah. And obviously, like, those phantom-like ones, any powers they could have include causing paralysis. So, Frank, if you think about it, paralysis, nighttime attacks. Well, yes. 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 Um. Flying and levitating, of course, because they're phantoms, and shape-changing, apparently. That is kind of like Dracula in Bram Stoker's book. He can, Dracula can shape-change into a bat and a wolf, I believe. Yeah. So. I forgot about that, yeah. But so now that we've gone over what the physical and the phantom-like vampires are, there are four subtypes of those. So you have the immortal blood drinkers, which are what we typically think of as a vampire. Classics. There are the mortal blood drinkers, who are real people that drink blood, either in the past or currently. We're not really going to touch on them in this episode, because they're not supernatural, they're just weird. That's just gross. <laughs> yeah, so we're not going to talk about that. I'll briefly talk about historical people, but that's about it. They're the unintentional psychic vampires who unknowingly feed on the psychic energy of people because they need it to survive some kind of illness or they might be very elderly and are draining psychic energy from people without knowing it. And then the most terrifying of all are the intentional psychic vampires, the (laughs) ones that are maliciously draining psychic energy from people knowing that they're doing it. And eventually we're going to get into astral projection and feeding off the energy of people that are sleeping. But that'll be later on. Okay. And according to Constantinos, there are simple rituals that anyone can perform and will definitely work. (laughs) That's the quote he says, like the words definitely will work. Which will definitely work. Which will definitely work. That's great. It is a quote. That's awesome. Now let's get into some beliefs around the world. So we're going to kind of get into some cultural ideas of different kinds of vampires. We're going to start all the way back in Mesopotamia and uh, Sumer. 
Sumer, whatever you want to call it, they had this idea of the Ekumu. Bless you. No one's around to tell you uh, yes or no. Ekumu? I don't know. But essentially, they're created when someone dies a violent death or isn't properly buried. And to Mm. the Sumerians, they were considered demonic, phantom-like entities that couldn't rest and just roamed searching for victims. So that's kind of like a ghost mixed with a vampire. So that's yeah, interesting. That's really, yeah. They also yeah. have the Uruku, or, or also called the Utuku, which in cuneiform actually like translates to vampire, but with the Y instead of the I. Cool. So that's interesting. And then... There is this idea of the seven demons. I don't know if that's where the seven deadly sins also came from, from like some ancient Sumerian thing. But there, I think that was an anime, actually. Oh, true. My bad. <laughs> You're so dumb. Did you just? <laughs> okay. Um, but in the book, and we can put this in the show notes if we want. There is a banishment incantation that he put in the book and in one of the lines in there is a belief that seems to parallel the idea that a vampire can't enter a church. So Uh, that's interesting. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Right. One thing that jumped out to me, Nick, when you said the, uh, Uruku, Uruku, I just have to be reading Lord of the Rings. (laughs) And that reminds me of the Urukai which were like, you know, like the upgraded orcs. Yes. So I'm wondering, so I'm quickling up the etymology. It looks like Uruk is the word for orc in one of the languages that Tolkien invented, I believe, like the black speech. So I wonder if there's any connection between, you know, you know, he was an expert in languages. I wonder if he connected it to. Yeah, maybe. Because this is Mesopotamian. U-R-U-K-U. Yeah, this is, it's without the U, Uruk. I wonder, yeah. you know. I don't know. I'll yeah. see what I can find out. Pretty cool, though. But, uh, so Nick, yeah, you mentioned that they can't enter churches. Yes. Now I'm I'm not super well versed in vampires, but I thought they couldn't like enter anywhere. So they're not just hollowed grounds. So the I know what you're talking about. The whole having to be invited in to like the abode. Mm-hmm. That didn't show up anywhere in the book, from what I could tell. All right. Like there was no indication that that was something that might just be a um, thing that became relevant over time and didn't, and it could have just been like lost in translation and it's not actually a thing. But someone made it up or someone thought it was what happened and now that's just what we believe. Gotcha. Um,. But anyway, moving to Iraq, they have kind of two distinctions. There are ghouls and there are vampires. And if you've ever read 1001 Arabian Nights, a ghoul actually does appear in that. And typically in Iraq, ghouls are thought to eat the remains of dead bodies and occasionally the blood, the body, or both of a living person. Kind of reminds me of skinwalkers tiny bit you know yeah but i i believe they're still undead yeah this is all we're all gonna be talking about undead things here except for the next group 
from India and surrounding countries, they're actually uh, tales of vampire deities or gods. Whoa. And they're said to be ruthless, demonic beings, and they're essentially just appeased just out of fear. And in Nepal and Tibet, there are, they both have the Lord of Death, which are, or which is rather, a vampiric deity. Oh, wow. So that's pretty uh, interesting. They're pretty close together, though. So I think, you know, osmosis of cultures and stories. Mm-hmm. And there's another vampire-like god that actually was worshipped relatively recently named Kali. K-A-L-I. Um, they... I think it they it was referred to as her. So she was worshipped by the Thugi cult. Thuggy, T-H-U-G-E-E. I'm gonna go with Thugi. You know, but, Nick, what does that remind you of? Kali. Kali Yuga? Yeah. Well, it actually is Kali Yuga. That's what Kali is from. Oh, really? Yeah. A vampire god? Yeah, so really, to super quick interject, the Kali Yuga in Hinduism is the idea, it's the fourth and worst of the four Yugas, which are the world ages. Yes, I am reading from Wikipedia. Um, in like a cycle of world ages. And of course, it's believed traditionally to be the current age, right? So obviously we're, we're in the current worst age of all uh, in the cycle. And the Kali of Kali Yuga means strife, discord, quarrel, or contention. And associated with the demon Kali. Oh. Look at that. So well, right now we're in her age. Well, which is scary. Well, that's interesting. But I guess it kind of makes sense with the timeline because um in the eighteen or up until the eighteen hundreds, the members of this cult murdered tens of thousands of people. <laughs> according to again, according, I didn't look up the cult itself. This is all according to Constantinos. Yeah. But the British Empire ended up wiping them all out. <laughs> so wow, I don't know if I'd call that interesting, Nick. Well, no, I'm saying because the timeline is like up until the 1800s. Up, if it's in, if it's Hinduism, that's mainly India. <laughs> India was a British colony. Okay, I'll I'll give you that one. That's where I was going with that. Sorry. <laughs> all right, I thought you were like, oh, this is interesting. They murdered <laughs> no. tens of thousands of people. No, no, no. <laughs> it was just about the. Indian and British connection. Cool. Also in India, and again in the surrounding areas, we have Rakshasas, which are different than the D&D version. You got me excited. They still have fangs, but they're said to have five legs, blood-soaked bodies, they drink blood, and they live in graveyards, according to legend. There's also the tale of the Lang Suir, who is a woman who died after realizing her newborn was stillborn. Oh my god. And allegedly, they had a hole in the back of the neck that was used to suck the blood. It wasn't like fangs or anything. It was a hole in the back of its neck. But this is one of the cases where you could cure it by cutting the nails and hair and stuffing it into the hole in the back of her neck, and then she'd become mortal again. Wow. 
Wow. Wait. Yeah, I, I, that was, okay. it was very. It was a very interesting <laughs> thing to read. There's also the Penangalan, who is a woman interrupted whilst in a penance ceremony, and due to the shock and rapid movement, her head would become separated from her body and fly off as an evil spirit. <laughs> I feel like I've heard this one before, actually. <laughs> Haven't you ever seen like a depiction of like a woman's head with just wings? Like bat wings? Does that not ring a bell? No. Oh, maybe I'm just crazy, but. No. So we're going to move away from India into China and the Pacific. And there were other tales like here and other creatures. Some from Japan. The one in China is called the Qiangxi. But cut. Kind of the same idea that we've been hearing from the other ones, like improper burial or violent death, drinks blood, all that. Is that the Marvel movie? No, that's Shang Chi. <laughs> this is Chiang Chi. <laughs> oh, or okay. I, I don't know if S H I H is she or like she. I think it's she. Okay, so it's Chiang Chi. Gotcha. So not the Disney no, Plus. Not the, no piece of media okay got it now moving to africa there is the obeyafo who's not actually undead but a living witch and they leave their body at night and feed off of sleeping victims so kind of alluding to later the old hag yeah and we'll talk about that Moving into Europe, which is probably what most of us think about when we think about a vampire. In Greece, there's the Vrykolokos, which, again, similar ways, or one becomes that in the similar ways as before. It would improper burial or violent death, but it would seemingly attack the people it knew when it was alive. It would apparently call out to friends and relatives at their homes. Damn. And essentially, if you open the door, it was a death wish because it would so be vindictive. Yeah, it would just come in and attack you if you open the door and then you'd be turned as well. So then what do you do if some like if you hear a relative just like at your door, you're like, well, if you kn- don't answer. Well, it. if you knew they died. Then I probably wouldn't answer it. That that's insidious, right? Because you'd always imagine, like I don't know, you have like a aunt that dies, and you hear their voice at the door. You'd be like, "Oh my god, of course, come in." You'd open, you know. Uh, no, that's how they get you. Oh, the you're one. telling me? You're telling me? God forbid, if, if a family knew, member dies, you hear them outside. You wouldn't be like, "Oh my," you wouldn't maybe, think straight. Maybe if like, I was like, "Come a in, baby. kill me," Nick. If you heard Frank's voice coming from your door right now. I know he's You mean alive. to tell me you wouldn't let him in? Well, I'd be really <laughs> worried because I could see him and I know he's alive. <laughs> Second of all, Nick, if you were a baby, you couldn't open the door. You wouldn't be tall enough. So True. Let me just say, if like <laughs> if I when my uncle died when I was like six, if I heard him call out at my house, I probably would have opened the door. But I was exactly. six, but I was six. Me at twenty three, knowing what I know now, the horrors I've seen. <laughs> Thanks to Wednesday at 9 p.m. Yeah, thanks to Wednesday at 9 p.m. giving me educated. PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not. 
Um, but moving to Romania, which we're getting very close to, obviously, Transylvania. I believe Transylvania is in Romania, actually. I think it's a real place. Um, is, there is are it a legends or a of the Strigoi or the Strigaioka, which that's the male and the female version. But they are also living witches. And the Nosferatu that I think... If you've seen that old, old movie, you know what he looks like. Or, or a Spongebob. What, or a Spongebob. Yeah. Same idea. That's also associated with a blood-drinking vampire. And a Nosferatu is one of the ones that can have sexual relations with the living. And it's said that a person is doomed to become a Nosferatu if they are the illegitimate child of illegitimately born parents. Hence the royal family bloodline <laughs> quote at the beginning, because there was a lot of inbreeding. Oh, I see. So I see. There are probably some vampires in some royal families. Got it. Got it. That would explain a lot. And there are stories in Germany and Poland, but it's again, it's the same kind of idea. Yeah. Finally, moving to North and South America. In South America, there's the Asema, which is like a living witch or sorcerer, similar to the Obeyafo in Africa and the Strigoi in Romania. And in the U.S. and Canada, there's actually no native folklore about vampires in the area. But apparently in some southern states, there is an evil spirit that is talked about called a haint. Which I hadn't heard about before. It's yeah, what an it's original ha- name. <laughs> it's haunt, but the I, the U is an I, a haint. Oh, I thought you, I thought it was pronounced hate. Like no, there's an evil spirit no, called no, no, hate. No. Haint, haint, H A I N T. That is a, a very original name. Wow. Yeah. But that's kind of the cultural background of a lot of these uh, vampiric creatures. Constantinos calls them like species, different species of vampires. But now we're going to get into the immortal blood drinkers, the first type of vampire. And we're going to get into some stories associated with them. So again, what you know from shows and books and movies, throw it out the window. We're not going in at nighttime to a giant castle or to a graveyard by ourselves at midnight. Aww. Vampire hunters back in the day, actually, they did visit graveyards, but they did it in daytime and with a large group of people. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't John Harker going by himself or Van Helsing. <laughs> oh, Van Helsing! Try and defeat Dracula on their own. So, our first story for immortal blood drinkers, we're going to talk talk about Arnold Paol, who was a Serbian soldier that lived in the early 1700s. And he claimed he was attacked by a vampire when he was in Gasowa, which is Turkish Serbia. And apparently the belief at the time, if you were attacked by a vampire, the way to deal with it was eat some of the earth from the vampire's grave and (laughs) smear yourself with its blood. I don't know how he would have gotten those things, but he claimed he did that. Interesting. He claimed he did those things. And he eventually returned home in 1727, but shortly after, he fell off a hay wagon, died, and was buried. Oof. Yeah, no, what a way to go out, falling off a hay wagon. 
but after within fighting a, in the war <laughs> yeah <laughs> and being attacked by a vampire yeah. yeah there's so many cooler ways to go out but it is what it is and within a month of him being buried reports came out that pale was attacking villagers at night and eventually four of them died and so the vampire oh. hunters went and dug up Pale's grave, and his skin was described as undecayed. The skin and the nails had fallen away and were being replaced with new skin and new nails. There's fresh blood streaming from his mouth. So to deal with it, and classically, they drove a wooden stake through Pale, and as they did, he allegedly let out a groan and blood erupted from his body. And later, his body was burned to make sure the job was finished. Damn. And the villagers believe that the people who Pale attacked were also vampires. And when they were dug up, their body was found in the similar, quote, vampiric condition. And apparently several years later, in that same graveyard, 16 alleged vampires were exhumed. They were buried at approximately the same amount of time, which was about two months. And four of them were infants, and three of those infants were buried with their moms, who were also considered among the 16 vampires. Baby vampires. Yes. Okay. But. Damn. We can't be sure of what Pale's victims experienced, because obviously they were all, they died before. But um, the description of the body, the undecayed, the fresh blood, the groan, and the blood erupting from his body, a lot of that can actually be explained by the, um, like I said before, that lack of medical knowledge and what happened to a body when it decayed. So without knowing truly what Pale's victims experienced, we just have the observations of what appears to be a naturally decaying body. Because back in the day, being like undecayed, there was the idea of like after 40 days of mourning, you know, putting things over mirrors because you were afraid the spirit would get, you know, show up and not be able to rest of a loved one. It was thought that after those 40 days, the spirit would move on and that'd be it. So there would just essentially be a skeleton after 40 days. That obviously doesn't happen. So <laughs> even though it was like within a month, his skin being undecayed just meant that he probably wasn't a skeleton. And because he still had some flesh on him, he wasn't decayed. So these are probably just poor buried people. And there was just like a scare of like, Oh my God, we gotta, we gotta exhume these bodies. Yes. That's tragic. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Again, we don't really know what those people saw when they said Pale was attacking them. Yeah. But with, without knowing that, like I said, we are just kind of going off. We're just going off of the observations of what appeared to be a corpse that was naturally decaying. But that's the story yeah. of Arnold Pale. Now we move on to Peter Plago... Wait. Plagajowicz, who also lived in a section of Serbia that became Hungary later on, in the village of Kisilova in the mid-1720s. So, 
this is a little different in in the sense that the facts from this case they're from the eyewitness report of the imperial provisor who was accompanied by the gratisk who was essentially a parish priest uh in that area so peter died and was buried for about 10 weeks so two and a half months and people do we know how he died no it just said he died okay he was reported by the villagers uh coming to them when they were in their beds and attacking them obviously all at night and apparently he would like materialize so this is kind of on the phantom like vampire he would materialize in the homes and some of the victims said they were suffocated during the attack and overall within a week nine people were dead oh damn and his wife peter's wife claimed to see him and that he went to her asking for his shoes and it was apparently a common belief at the time that vampires desired certain earthly possessions so this guy really liked his shoes i guess and what's funny is that she was so terrified by this peter's wife that she just left the village after it happened she got (laughs) up and left and so i mean i think i would too if you're if fallon came back and and you knew she died and she was like, can I have yeah. my shoes? Yeah. I think I would um, probably check myself into a mental institution. <laughs> no, because you know she was just a vampire. Oh, of course. <laughs> Explains so much. <laughs> um, but the, imper- the Imperial Provisor didn't like the idea of doing a vampire hunt. But... The villagers, he could see, were very discouraged, so he and the Gratisk went to the graveyard to investigate. They exhumed the body of Peter, and it was apparently odor-free. The body was not decomposed, aside from the nose, which had fallen away. The skin had fallen away, and new skin was growing, much like with Arnold Paol. There was blood flowing from the mouth, and, again, much like Paol, he was destroyed with a stake being driven through him. So again, similar body conditions as Arnold Paol. We don't know what those people actually experienced. But again, we kind of just have to go off of what seems to be a naturally decaying corpse. Isn't it interesting how quick people were back then to just exhume bodies, dig up graves, and be like, no smell, it's a vampire. (laughs) You know, that's... And presumably, to to myself, at least assume to you guys too, uh, I can't imagine digging up or looking at a dead body. Yeah, but especially one like supernatural. Yes, they do it all the time. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe maybe I should get into the habit. Yeah, you're you're just uh, you're too sheltered from the truth. Yeah, we'll go to the Vale Cemetery and we'll exhume <laughs> some bodies, some people's grandmas, and yeah, I'm sure we will be fine. We won't get arrested and. Put into like federal prison. It's fine. <laughs> Our next story. So we get away from potential grave robbing allegations. Is, <laughs> in, game, titled, in game. Yeah, in game Roblox Minecraft. Yes. It was titled The Vampires of Hadmake or Hadmake. 
And this is a case from an author named Augustine Calmet in their book, The Phantom World. And it was reported in 1730 by the Count de Cabriras, or Cabriras, who was the captain of the Alandetti Infantry of Hungary. So again, a lot of kind of like Eastern Europe here. Mm-hmm. And the Count's men were temporarily stationed in, in Haidmake, staying with the villagers. And one soldier, one night, was just sitting at a table with his host, the master of the house, when a man, who, whom the soldier did not recognize, came in and sat down at the table next to his host. Everyone seemed very nervous, and the next morning, the soldier finds that his host is dead. He asks around about the visitor that came last night, and apparently, the man that visited the host was his father, who died and was buried ten years prior. And it was believed that he had come to take his son. Take him where? To to the grave, I guess. But intrigued by this, the Count wanted to check this out for himself. So he located the grave of the father and removed the body. Again, easy to exhume bodies in the 1700s. And allegedly, the body was completely undecayed. After 10 years. Yeah, so now we're now it's not like two months. Now this is 10 years. I mean, how long does it actually take? Uh, to fully decompose? Yeah. I don't know. Someone can check that. Let's look it up. Well, you got to figure, sorry to be morbid here, but you see roadkill on the road, Frank? It's not there for very long. Well, that could also I be I mean, granted, you're underground, but like, I feel like worms and stuff probably get to you pretty quick. Yeah, ten, let's see. Like, I could see, like, even if a year people weren't fully decayed, that I feel like that makes sense. Not knowing, me also not knowing how decay properly works in a body, but 10 years, that's a lot. Yeah, it looks like stuff starts happening immediately, 24 hours, organs start to decompose, three to five days, you're releasing fluids, 10 days, you turn red. Several weeks, nails and teeth fall out. A month, the body starts to liquefy. Oh, my God. Also, so, yeah, 10 years. On the note of that, like, liquefying, that, like, the... When Arnold said, like, blood erupted and he groaned, a lot of gaskets build up, too. So that's probably what the groan was. And when... Mm. And like you said, your, you know, your organs start to liquefy, it might not just be blood. It could be the organs that have liquefied already so when you they say he you know burst from blood oh true it likely was not that yeah so it's like definitely 10 years is certainly a long long time <laughs> yeah where but, now, but now yeah 10 years should be pretty much completely decomposed so interesting that they said it was undecayed and but the count to avoid any further problems ordered that the head of the body be cut off, which was done so. Naturally. And the Count asked if there were other instances of vampirism that happened, and apparently there were a couple additional instances. Uh, One of them was a man had died over 30 years ago, 
and on three occasions came back to his house, all at mealtime. I don't know what the significance of that is, but Hmm. it was mentioned. And the first time he came back, he attacked his brother, drank his blood, and instantly killed him. Oh my god. And the next two times, he did the same thing, but this time to his son and a servant. Again, both died, and they found the body of that man in the same condition as the host's father. But instead of decapitating him, they drove a nail into his head. So the Count likes his different uh, ways of killing vampires, I guess. No, Nick. Yep. You said this was over 30 years ago? Yes. So, like, was he 30 years decayed, quote-unquote? Well, they said that they found... So, when... With the host father, when they exhumed his body, mm-hmm. they said it was completely undecayed. That's what the story says. Right. And when the Count heard of this story, and then they exhumed this man's body, who died over 30 years ago, they said that the body was in the same condition as the host's father. Okay. I wasn't sure if this was like a, oh, he heard a story about the, like this happening in the past, or if it was like, oh, this happened, and then he's like, okay, we got to dig up this body. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. He asked okay. about the other instances of vampirism. They told him they uh, the story. They went to exhume the body of the alleged vampires and then dealt with them. And then the other instance was a man died 16 years prior and allegedly drank the blood of his two sons, killing them. And his body was found in that similar vampiric condition, as Constantino says. And this time the body was burned. (laughs) So, yeah. I'm going to be honest, Nick. I didn't didn't realize there were many... uh... Historical. I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily, you know, factual or whatever, but I didn't realize there were many historical accounts of straight up like classic vampire stuff where undead yeah, I, killing, turning people into vampires. And because, right, even if you explain away all of the vampiric conditions, um, which you probably can do as medical stuff, how do you explain all the accounts of the actual like attacks, you know? Yeah, see, that's the. That's thing very interesting, very have. disturbing. Yeah. Um, I believe we have a couple more stories here for the Immortal Blood Drinkers. We're going to talk about the Kroglin Grange Vampire. So, <laughs> <what>? Okay. <laughs> Kroglin. It's funny. Or Kroglin. Whatever. Uh, this funny is a word. house in Cumberland, England, which is now uh, Cumbria. And it probably refers to uh, the real low Kroglin Hall, which is that's a real place in that area. But now we're a little further, by a little further, I mean over a century in the future. It's the mid-1870s. And the owners of this house, the Fisher family, rents, their, rents the one-story house to two brothers and a sister. And on one summer night, the sister did not close the shutters to her windows. There's a clear view from the house to the belt of trees that separated the churchyard from the house's yard. And at night, she saw two bizarre lights weaving between the trees. And as the lights emerged, she saw that they were the eyes of some dark humanoid creature. 
Oh. The creature would vanish into the shadows as it would dart across the lawn towards the house. But she did not scream, afraid that it would eventually see her. And then, thinking it was running around the house, she jumped out of bed and ran to the door. And as she reached the door, she heard scratching on the window and turned to see it right outside. The creature had this hideous brown face with flaming eyes, and she screamed, naturally, but for some reason ran back to her bed. <laughs> Don't know Monsters why. Monsters can't get you if you're under the sheets, Nick. True. Come on. So, <laughs> I don't know why she did that, but the creature ended up picking at one of the panes. It fell into the room, shattering the glass, and the creature put its arm in, unlocked the window, and opened it. And within seconds, it was standing over her. It grabbed her by the hair, pulled her head back, and just bit into her throat. Oh my god, what? What? The brothers came bursting through the door after they heard her, their sister scream, and they found her lying unconscious on her bed, with and her neck still bleeding. And the vampire was in the midst of escaping through the window. The brothers chased it into the woods, but it leaped over the wall of the churchyard and disappeared. The sister just thought it was some lunatic that escaped an asylum. So she survived? Yes, she did survive. Okay. They went to a doctor who recommended that they change their surroundings for a bit, so they ended up going away to Switzerland for a little while. (laughs) Because Switzerland is even neutral from vampires. Nice, nice. But she decided to return to the house and stay in the same room because she just thought, you know, lunatics don't escape all the time. It's a weird one-off thing. But now she did close the shutters from now on. However, the shutters don't cover the top pane, and on one March night, she heard scratching again at the window. Uh Uh-oh. She saw the same brown face looking at her, this time immediately screamed, and her brothers at the ready ran to the front of the house with pistols. They chased the creature and managed to shoot it in the leg, but it still made it to the wall of the churchyard, leapt over, and vanished into a vault. The next morning, the brothers went to the churchyard, opened the vault, and found that every coffin had its contents ripped out of them, but one was untouched. They opened it and found the alleged vampire. But it appeared shriveled and mummified, but there was the mark of the pistol shot on its leg. They took the corpse out and burned it. Hmm. 1870s? Mid-1870s. Wow. That's pretty recent. But um, you said it opened... Do you think the creature, like the vampire, opened all of these coffins then? I have no idea. This one, I again, this is... I don't, a head-scratcher. I don't know yeah, what, the nature yeah. of this story. Who I don't remember where Constantinos got the story from, but this one is a little different because the corpse is also shriveled and mummified. Yeah, but with a mark. That's wild. Wow, yeah. what are you supposed to make of that? That's wow. I know. Imagine just the imagery. Imagine that. I... 
I have like a, in my room. There's a window to the backyard, which oh, is pretty, yeah. you know, it's pretty pretty small backyard. And every time I, right before I go to sleep, I open the blinds so that when I wake up in the morning, there's sunlight. And I just, I'm setting up like the perfect. It's always the perfect setup to like see something like in the middle of my yard, like staring at me right out through the window. Yeah, but I just y- imagine like a face right a, there. There's a vampire down where you live. There are a lot bigger problems. That sounds like a movie, like Vampires in the Bronx. I think that is a movie. It sounds... Oh, let's look it up. Okay, I'll <laughs> wait here. There's no way Vampires in the Bronx. Vampires in I'm the Bronx. I'm telling you it exists. I think there's something. Vampires like versus the Bronx. 2020 Netflix. Oh, that explains a lot. <laughs> I that can explains tell so much. It's definitely not my... Oh, it's from a rapidly gentrifying Bronx neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is going on? Thanks, Netflix. There you go. Coco Jones is in it. Who's that? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that like a Disney star? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. We have one Vampires more story the of the immortal blood drinkers, and this is going over the Vrykolokos of Pyrgos. So I mentioned the Vrykolokos in Greece, and we are in Greece in the year 1922, so just over 100 years ago. And this, Constantinos got this story from the daughter of an eyewitness. He referred to the eyewitness's daughter as E and the mother as M. So M was 21 and living with her husband and two-year-old son. E wasn't born yet. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the village of Pyrgos, the farmer fell into a severe depression and began drinking. He would come home later and later, and if his wife asked about it, he would become violent. He made light of the situation and just said he liked drinking beneath the old olive tree at the end of his field. But one night, the farmer's wife had invited a couple over for dinner, and Em and her husband wanted to check on the wife and decided to stay until the husband came home. Around 10 p.m., He hadn't returned yet, and M and her husband left. By 11, the wife was worried because the farmer hadn't been out that late before. A friend of the farmer went to find him at the olive tree and found an empty bottle of wine and was alerted by a creaking sound as he saw the dark figure of his friend hanging from a tall tree. Oh, wow. Stricken with grief, the wife went to speak to the priest, but apparently in the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church, and I'm sure in probably other uh, Christian churches, and especially back then, because he committed suicide, he was to be buried without prayers in an unconsecrated grave and was excommunicated. So, when... That's that. rough. When, when we talk about one of the ways you become a vampire is an improper burial. Can't get much, much worse than that. You're excommunicated, buried <laughs> without prayers, like your last rites, and yeah. you're in an unconsecrated grave. Not good. And your life was cut short. Yes. Not violent, though. Well. Well, yeah. Anyway. It's not exactly pleasant. (laughs) Definitely not. No, definitely not pleasant. But the next two months, the wife was just 
in mourning. But after those two months, the village noticed that she barely left her house. And after those two months, a strange plague appeared. And after about a week, eight people were bedridden and two ended up dying. After this week of the plague, the woman who stayed with the wife uh, when her husband died went to go check on her. And when she told the widow about the plague, the wife broke down crying, saying her husband returned to her late at night, or late every night, Uh, and, quote, laying with her until the uh, early morning hours for the past week. So, the timeline of the plague. The priest gathered gathered the men of the village and went to the grave to do, quote, God's work. What they planned to do was cut off the limbs of the Vrykolokas, the farmer, remove his heart, and then burn the corpse. When they exhumed the body, he, he was shriveled and hardened, like a skeleton with a thin layer of, quote, wrinkled flesh. After some uneasiness, the plan went into motion, but when the chest was opened, the men found, quote, melted remains in a completely preserved heart that was still beating. That's bizarre. And um, the lane with her emphasization meant that the wife was pregnant with the baby of the Vrykolokas. What the hell? So when it was born, though, it is said that it looked like, quote, the monster that was his father and died within seconds of being born. Oh my god. Sounds similar to the Jersey Devil. Oh, it kind of does. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I mean, the Jersey Devil didn't die right away, but... It did become the Jersey Devil. Yeah, it was no longer a baby, but... I thought that's just what happens in New Jersey, though. Yeah, happened to me a while back. <laughs> you just grow wings and like horns and a tail. and <laughs> Yeah, but I grew out of it. That's good. good. That's good to hear. But that's, well, one, what disturbing stories you found, Nick. This is great. <laughs> this is good. It gets crazier. Um, don't worry. I also want to say, so this one has much more uh you know like anatomically accurate descriptions of the dead bodies being exhumed right yeah because now we're it's, we're in 1922 in yeah. greece which you know that's not some that's not a poor country at the time i mean probably not great because it's still 1920s There's yeah but yeah they're not saying people. like totally un uh decompose or not decomposed body right like the mentioning the melted remains and the shrilled parts but still but still a crazy vampire story yeah very interesting and that ends our stories of immortal blood drinkers now we're going to talk about how you deal with them good if, you, if you're ever in a situation and you need to fend yourself i was getting worried <laughs> off from a vampire you can use the classic wooden stake Beheading works, that as we've seen, burning, removing the heart, using holy or blessed weapons, mm. placing holy objects in the coffin. That one seems easiest, no? Yeah. You don't have to get your hands dirty. 
foul-smelling objects. So apparently, according to Constantinos, in the occult, um, normally, like, how we think of magnetism, opposites attract, right? Okay. I believe he said something along the lines of um, likes attract. So a vampire, because it's undead and would smell bad, putting garlic in there would be good because it also smells bad. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> yeah. Or not maybe not garlic in the coffin, but garlic as a foul-smelling example. And that, and that was the uh, logic behind it. Interesting. And also, one interesting one that Frank, Aaron probably doesn't know other instances of it, but distractions. Laying out seeds or nets. Does what that, is this, Home Alone? No, because <laughs> it's believed that if you lay out seeds, a vampire would have to count every single one before... Continuing. So, like Sesame Street. No, 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 no. Wait, is that that's the, what a weird connection though. This is a connection to fae folk. It is believed that with certain uh, like fairy creatures, if you put out seeds, they have to count every single seed before they do oh. anything else. And apparently, that works with vampires as well. That's but isn't is that what the what is the what's the name of the count? Is it just the count? In Sesame Street? He's got a whole name, but I don't remember it. Count Chocula, I believe it is. <laughs> no, Frank doesn't know who that is. I, re- I, re- I actually do not know who Count Chocula is. I don't think that's a real he's thing. He's the most... Yeah, Nick, where's Count Chocula's stories? He <laughs> is... He's a mortal blood drinker, actually. Oh. This, this has to be how the Count from Sesame Street, why he counts stuff. So... Maybe, um, maybe it's just the name Count. Probably just no. the name count. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> his out. name is his full name is actually Count von Count. <laughs> okay, why is he called? Why does he count stuff? Because vampires count stuff. Things just maybe his name is count. And it was a children's show. Okay, no, I'm telling you, <laughs> it's. <laughs> We're getting a little reading in a little. It just creepy. makes so much sense. It would. Okay. Did the makers of Sesame Street know about this vampire legend? <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like I think an AI generated article. You know. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Okay. So, like I said, we're not going to really talk about the second type, the mortal blood drinkers, but some famous ones that were. Uh, in the book include obviously Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Dracula. Mm. I will say real quick, the name his dad was Vlad Dracul, and Dracul means of the dragon or something oh. like that, because his father was in the Order of the Dragons fighting off the Turks. And adding the A means son of. So Vlad's name is is essentially Vlad, son of the dragon. That's cool. That's pretty that's very sick. cool. Um, but yeah, he's he a gets very, a pass. What's up? Oh, he gets a pass. <laughs> yeah, for everything he did. Yeah, he is obviously a very famous one, and the other one was um the Blood Countess, Blood Bathory. Yes. That, uh, yeah. I actually forget her first name. Was it Elizabeth? 
there's a great episode on the podcast Astonishing Legends, I believe. Oh, you're right. On Bloodbathery. We'll link yeah. it. She she essentially believed that uh, she, well, f- for one, she killed a lot of people. And she believed that to maintain her young and beautiful uh, features, she would have to bathe in the blood of young females. Did it work? Hmm. No idea. She got, they found out about a murder, her murders. She got imprisoned. And after three years, she died. I'm looking her up. I'm going to say, I only see paintings. Um, well, I would say it didn't work. <laughs> well, she didn't have access to the blood of young girls in jail. So maybe it was working up until that point. That's a good point. Who knows? Good point. You got me there. But those are the historical figures, at least the most famous ones. There are also the people alive today in the modern era that drink blood, but we won't talk about that. Aaron's making a face. Aaron, have you never seen those shows? Like, you know, like History Channel shows or Discovery Channel shows where it's just like... Tonight oh, I thought we were talking show. about Hollywood conspiracies. No, no. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yeah, there are people that should have just drink Aren't there people Nick, who like pay people to the people drink will some there? people willingly donate to be drank, basically drank from or give their blood to be drank and get people, paid though, right? Yes. Like a lot oh, of money. Oh, but what I say is completely weird. You <laughs> you <laughs> guys say that you're like, "Oh, that's don't look nothing." At me. I can't see your face, so don't look at me. <laughs> Aaron, I I'd pay for your blood. Okay. okay. Well, let's get off of the topic <laughs> of drinking people's blood as just humans, and we'll talk about something a lot more interesting, psychic vampirism. Nice. So I'll give kind of a brief overview of uh, actual research done on the old hag phenomena, and then we'll get into the mm. stories of the unintentional and intentional psychic vampires. So again, we're going to talk about old hags, which is a common, which commonly refers to uh, sleep paralysis or very severe sleep paralysis. But in the early 1970s, David J. Hufford, who is a faculty member of the folklore department at the Memorial University of Newfoundland, became interested in the old hag phenomena and it sparked him to create a research project. So he collected survey data from students and concluded that there needed to be four events that happened that constituted a hag attack. One, uh, it most often happens to someone upon awakening and on occasion right before they go to sleep. So think about that when you're going to sleep tonight. No, thanks. Something is either heard or seen coming toward the room and eventually the bed of the victim. The victim feels a weight on their chest that could seem as mild as a hand pressing down or as severe as a sense of being strangled. And fourth, it feels as if they are paralyzed and unable to make any sounds. So was Ryan attacked by a hag? I don't think he felt any pressure on him. So, yeah, he felt two of these things, right? No, uh, three of these things? He 
he heard something that was a cat. It happened upon awakening, and he couldn't move. But did he tell no the story when he was on? I think he did. I th- yeah, I think so. Yeah, listen to that episode. Listen to was that episode episode five? Five. A room with a boo. I appreciate that you know the title off the top of your head. That's that's good. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, he, he definitely experienced sleep paralysis, but not uh, yeah, I guess no, not a hag. Yeah, hag attack. So which is Huff- a great name. So Hufford found that twenty three percent of the people that he gave his questionnaire to experienced at least the feeling of waking up paralyzed one or more times in the past. And to quick aside, the surveys can be pretty finicky because you need to reduce bias as much as you can, like to actually use the data and perform like actual statistical analysis on it. And from what I read, again, I didn't read the actual questionnaire, but according to Constantinos, Hufford made the questionnaire with the knowledge that you know, bias is something that has to be minimized. So this isn't just some crazy survey with super outlandish questions right, you know, from the rip. This yeah. this guy is a faculty member at a university. Yeah. So, but just to kind of clarify, because when I read that, I was like, ooh, survey? That can get kind of tricky. Yeah. But it seemed survey. that he did a pretty good job in uh, creating the survey. Anyway. Roughly two-thirds of those who claim to have wakened in a paralyzed state either knew about the hag attack phenomena or someone who had experienced it. And Hmm. 40% of the people that Hufford interviewed knew what a hag attack was. So because of that, it's probably easy to imagine why those who experienced it would know what it was or someone who had suffered from it would know what it was. Oh, wait, sorry. Someone who knew someone who suffered from it. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So now we'll get into the unintentional psychic vampire. Can I quick ask, have either of you guys ever experienced sleep paralysis? Never once. Nope. Me neither. So we know one person who has. So I wonder, you know, I'm going to ask my family and ask around, see if anyone's ever experienced that. You guys should do the same. See if you know anyone that's experienced it. Will do. Maybe they'll have some good stories. You know what people should really do is if they're listening at home, please uh, comment on our podcast and say if you've experienced sleep paralysis or if you haven't. Yes, on the website. Get to it. Experience it. You'll (laughs) be able to go to, yeah, you'll be able to go to Wednesday at 9pm.com slash, what is this, number nine? Nine, Slash nine, like the number nine, and it will redirect you to the page for this episode and you can scroll to the bottom type in whatever you want and submit it pretty cool so do that (laughs) all right the plug is now out of the way we will talk about unintentional psychic vampires and this and the first-hand account from constantinos perfect so again unintentional psychic vampires do not produce enough life force or psychic energy themselves and need to feed on others but this is totally without knowing that they're doing it and in the book constantinus goes over psychic energy in a lot more detail with a lot of like occult references and the nature of certain types of attacks yeah it's left out of here but if you want 
check out the book. You can get it on Amazon. Again, it's called Vampires, the Occult Truth by Constantinos, if you're interested. Link in the show notes. So now let's get into his account. So we're in December of 1993. He has a friend who he was in a band with at the time that <laughs> forgot about his mother's birthday party that he had to go to. What a good, what a good son. But Constantinos proposed that he goes with him to at least just keep him company and so he's not bored at the party. They get to the house and it's filled with guests. Constantinos sits near the front door. He doesn't really know anyone, so he just, you know, decided to sit kind of in a spot that if he wanted to just get up and leave, it'd be very easy. A few minutes later, this short, dark-haired woman in her 50s enters the house. She had this really sour expression, but several of the guests went over to her immediately, and one young woman took her by the arm to help her get to the couch, but she refused the help. Constantinos' friend mother, friend's mother, who will be referred to as B, walked over to the woman, who was referred to as M, and gave her this kind of fake smile and seemed that she was overall upset about M being there at her party. Later, Constantinos finds out that M was dying of cancer. So he thought it was kind of weird that his friend's mom, B, was upset that M was there because she was dying of cancer. So he thought that was kind of weird. But according to Constantinos, he had a very long and hard day of work and said in a mildly altered state of consciousness due to fatigue, he noticed that everyone seemed to move away from the part of the room he was at, except M remained where she was on the couch. And as he gazed over to her again in this mild mildly altered state he said she looked like some sort of human spider not physically but he says astrally (laughs) which again he said he could see because of his altered state of mind okay m was surrounded by a dark purple aura emanating two feet from her body oh and it seemed to darken and almost become black at the edges Several black tentacles protruded from the dark edges and they moved toward the guests and kind of just like struck with, you know, dumbfounded. M turned to look at the author and he just quickly looked back at her and they just exchanged smiles, but the tentacles continued writhing. So that made Constantinos realize M didn't know what she was doing. So after that, he got up (laughs) and left the room and immediately went to talk with his friend. B ended up coming over to ask how his girlfriend was doing. And through that, he brought up that he didn't feel very comfortable near the couch. And as he said that, B froze and asked if he could, quote, help her get something from the basement. B explained that the night before the party, She had what she described as a horrible waking nightmare. She awakened in her bed, finding she could not move. Her head felt like it was, quote, swelling and thundering, and her chest felt like someone was pushing down on her. As she lay there terrified, she heard a sound like that of a hollow wind, 
but hoping it was her husband, she tried to call out to him, but with, to no avail. The wind grew louder, and she saw a purple light swirling over her, and it formed into a shape resembling a serpent with its coil resting on her chest. The pressure grew, and the serpent opened its mouth, and as it did, the head vanished and was replaced by a dark sphere with M's face clearly inside. The face was expressionless and had its eyes closed. Upon hearing that encounter, the author gave B some techniques that she could do to protect herself, but assured her that M was not knowingly doing this. And uh, after eight days from that conversation, B felt the presence. But she had been doing the techniques, felt no terror or pressure anywhere on her. She heard what she described as a, an electrical sound coming from the corner of her room. And seeing that she could move, she sat up and looked over. She, just, she saw a faint purple light, but it was broken up into just tiny floating sparks. And that was the last time she was bothered by any kind of encounter at night. Whoa. Wow. So, <laughs> Nick, when you were preparing for this and we were in the call, you randomly asked, you said something about an aura or whatever. And you asked me, like, something like, what color is my aura, right? Yeah. I mean, I was like, uh, purple. Bad answer, I guess. Bad, bad answer. answer. And wait till you hear the you next story. Purple is also bad. Oh, no. It really was the first thing that came to my mind. What did I hope that? Maybe you're being attacked by a psychic vampire. Or I am the psychic vampire. Maybe. I don't think you're... This whole show is actually to get you guys to give you my energy. Give you... Give us your energy? You're not (laughs) giving us... No. You... Me get... You give me your energy. (laughs) Me give me... You give me orange. Me give orange (laughs) banana. Yeah. I'll Ooh. link that video too, so the reference. I don't just sound stupid. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Uh-huh. Go ahead. You can forget. So th- this is an example <laughs> of someone being very ill and unknowingly feeding off of the energy of other people. So yes, when I was trying to think of the hook for the episode, I was talking to Frank, and I was like, I could say something like, "Why you shouldn't be friends with people with cancer." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like like, yeah don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can cut that if you want but anyway and nah. what do you what do you think about that <laughs> what do you think about this first-hand account that the author uh dealt with well i i'm very curious about his <laughs> altered state of mind so and how he I. can just <laughs> magically see <laughs> astral projections. So I will say like, this and he it was known by his friend and just like at this time in the author's life he was researching the occult and like occult experimentation so he could have been doing rituals or meditations separately drugs. Or, I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of drugs that show up in occult things, so I don't, I don't doubt it. But um, 
be that as it may, the fact that he talked to the mom and she described this event that she experienced and was kind of worried when he said he didn't feel comfortable near the couch seems to me that, you know, there's some... You can't suspend... You can't disbelieve all of that. That's too much of a coincidence. I'm not saying I don't believe him. Just like, dang. You just, you just think he was hot. That's, well, maybe. Like, when you say altered state of mind, you generally don't mean I'm sleepy. You generally mean I'm drunk or I'm a little bit high. Some people get tired when they're drunk or high. Okay. But just saying. That doesn't change the fact <laughs> that they're drunk and high. <laughs> sure it does. No. No. Now I'll certainly say people do report Well, think about it. So some theories are that when you're a kid, your filter is much weakened or much weaker than like an adult. So that's why you might see stuff like sprites and fairies or gnomes, whatever, or auras or spirits, whatever. And when you're an adult, it kind of thickens and you don't really see anything but when you're super super duper tired right i mean we all experienced it being rpi students it is adult wouldn't you say that that's a slightly altered state of consciousness when you're like i mean completely exhausted i don't think it's a stretch to say your filter is slightly depleted some of the uh third floor shenanigans we got into (laughs) yeah but we never were like whoa we are seeing purple tentacles. Well, there was the one time Speak where you did thought you saw something, but it was just wolf in the corner of your room. Okay, but that was <laughs> what? that was actually what? What was something. That? <laughs> what was that? Oh, that was so funny. We'll tell you. you after had to the, be there. We'll tell you after the show. Okay, we'll get Wolf on. He'll tell a story. Okay, oh, perfect. Um, but we're gonna get into our last story about intentional psychic vampires and now this Ooh. one i don't know how it happens but boy <laughs> did i save the best for last great <laughs> this let's is, hear it this is a this one's just wild i love this one okay so let's just first talk about intentional psychic vampires very briefly so apparently the these are the people or things that w- want to do this they are knowingly doing this, and it's their goal to do it. They apparently go through this transformation that grants them eternal life. Oh my god, okay. And apparently some people even congregate on occasion to meet this goal of perfecting psychic vampirism. So apparently there are organized groups of people that do this. <laughs> which is terrifying it's like a book club yeah it's a book club but, but it's a they... blood club blood club yeah nice nice one and Constantinos talks about this thing called the second death which i won't get into too much but it's basically like when someone dies there's also their astral body and their mental body and the second death is when the astral body and the mental body disconnect rather than the two disconnecting from the mortal body when someone dies interesting and then he talks a lot about things related to that but again if you want to look more into it and read the occult descriptions of some of these things i implore you implore you to get the book for yourself 
onto the story of the House of the Vampire. Oh. We're in the spring of 1994. So this is after the story that we just talked about. Constantinos is attending a psychic fair, which I didn't know these existed. And while he's there, an individual who we will call S went up to him and claimed that he had a serious problem and wanted to know if Constantinos could help. He said that for the past three months or so, he had been living on his own in a new home. But a, a few days being there, he began to get the impression that something was wrong with the home. It had been abandoned for several years, and S began to feel tired a bit too often at home. Like, he recognized that it's like, I should, I should not be tired right now. This is weird. And it got to the point where he... It was such a problem that S went to a doctor to see if anything was wrong, but the doctor said there was no, there was nothing physically wrong with him, but he said maybe S was just working too hard. Well, S had just been promoted to a role at work that was more of a supervisor role than kind of like doing the grunt work as a yeah. doer, you know? So there weren't really as many job worries that he would have had in terms of at least like uh physical job worries but about twice a week never two nights in a row in the early morning hours s would awaken in a state of fear and be paralyzed around six to seven dark forms would surround his bed but he could make out no features just that they were humanoid he would notice a dark purple light appearing in the window to his room, and it would spread into the room a few feet and form a hemisphere, where the flat part was against the window. Oh. You good? Frank? Yeah, you lagged for a little bit. Actually, oh. just wait like five sec like ten seconds. Yeah, my ping is 1268. Yeah, it was funny. You just like rapid fire... Yeah, it like it like catches up, which is kind of cool. That it tries catching right, up. I'm back down to load. You want yeah, me to start okay. from somewhere else? Can you start at um around six to seven dark forms? Yes. Yeah. All right. So around six to seven dark forms would surround his bed. He could not make out any features, but they were just just that they were humanoid. He would then notice a dark purple light appearing in the window to his room and it would spread into the room for a few feet and form a hemisphere where the flat part was against the window and the actual sphere part was going into the room. And he heard, quote, echoes and rushing sounds from the window as if it were open, but the window would not be open. So kind of alluding to Yikes. another window opening. As this would all build up, he would notice a larger humanoid figure appear in purple light, slowly heading towards his bed. And then when it reached the bed, the other figures would move closer. The large figure hovered over S, and it would stretch as if it were a giant sheet of darkness. And at that point, Ed would notice its red, burning eyes. He would feel a heavy weight on his chest when the figure was at its closest, and claimed that the sounds in his head and the pressure on his chest made him want to scream, but he was unable to. The intensity would increase, and eventually, he'd pass out. 
When he'd wake up, he'd feel very weak and would occasionally have to use his sicker vacation days for work because it was so bad. Constantinos, upon hearing this, gave him similar exercises as he did B when she talked about her experiences, but the author wanted to yeah. still follow up with S after he used the techniques. So he tried calling S around 6 o'clock p.m. because he was supposed to be home at that point, but there was no response. At 7.30 p.m., finally, S answered, responding rapidly and whispering, asking if they could meet at a diner near where he lived. When Constantinos arrived, he noticed that there was a bruise on S's forehead, and when he asked him about it, S just said for them to get seated first. So this is S's story about what happened in that time between 6 and 7.30. Oh, boy. He got home around 5.30 p.m. and was waiting for Constantinos to call. In the meantime, he was on his bed and read a magazine. He heard a faint, quote, rumbling, not even two minutes after getting on his bed and reading the magazine. He turned to leave the room to see if the sound was as loud in any of the other rooms, when all of a sudden, he felt something very heavy slam into his back that sent him directly headfirst into the wall. He turned around and saw that his bed was up against him, standing on its side with two of the four <laughs> posts in the wall. What? S is quoted as saying, It was still bright in my room, but I saw it. It looked brown, but see-through, and it talked to me. It used rumbling to make its words. He said this in relation to what he saw after being attacked by his bed. The creature said, quote, Never speak again of our communion. And after that, the rumbling faded, and the brown phantom did as well on the other side of the bed. Constantinos implored him th that he could show other techniques to use, but S would just not listen. S got up, saying he'd be right back, and he headed towards the back of the diner to where the restrooms were. After a few minutes, S hadn't returned, and when Constantinos went to the restrooms, no one was there. But the back door was unlocked. Constantinos asked around, but no one had seen him. When he eventually left the diner, there was a note written on toilet paper under his windshield wipers saying, I took everything with me that matters. I can't go back there again. Thanks for your help. Please don't follow me. S. And of course he signed his real name. But Constantinos ended up finding that S's number was unlisted. And as not to invade his privacy, he did not attempt to further track him down. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let's unpack, unpack that there. a little yeah. bit. <laughs> a lot to unpack there. <laughs> First off, deathbed, the bed that eats. <gasps> That's so true. Wait, Wait did we watch that together or no? No, you no. said you would we want should. to. Now we should. Oh, God, this is the most Movie boring. Night. Actually, it probably lines up with the story. When was the story? This was... 1994. Okay, it's a little after that movie... I'll put a link to like a video, a clip of it. If you watch a trailer of Death by the Bed That Eats, it's just 
a 70s blurry horror movie. Maybe there's some allegory about something, I don't know. But it's just like nothing happens for hours and then like someone just gets eaten by a bed. <laughs> and there's no effects. There's nothing. People just sink into a bed. And it's like, um, um, um. it's crazy. But yeah, it's a good point. Deathbed. Second point. The one thing that this creature said to him was don't talk about this. And the first thing he does is talk about it. Well, yeah. but then he moves I, out of town. Yeah. Something I left out was that in that also in that in between time between six and seven thirty, after the creature vanished, he said that he went to take care of a few things. And when Constantinos called, he had just finished up. S did not elaborate on what those things what? were. What? It was probably gathering all of his things and leaving. Oh, okay. Based okay. on what was left on the note. I see. But, yeah. I see. So he, he didn't feel confident in stopping it, even though the the he author, Const, Con, was it Constantinos? Constantinos. Constantinos is obviously an expert in in this. So he just left. Yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I don't know if I would trust, if I was facing like demonic stuff in my house that I just moved into, given that I had the ability to move, I don't think I would just trust some random guy. Well, you I would gotta probably remember, get out of the house. S went up to him at this psychic fair. I and sure like, did ask her S, S didn't know what Constantinos was like working on or any... So it wasn't like he didn't know that he was making this book or researching vampires because I think it was close to the same time that he was doing this research. That wasn't what he he didn't talk about that at the fair, from what I recall from the book. So he didn't think it was like a hoax. Constantinos didn't think S was just you know pulling his chain. Yeah. yeah. Especially if he goes, I took everything with me that matters. I can't go back there again. Thanks for your help. Please don't follow me. And then his number was enlisted. That's a lot for a prank. Yeah. No, I just I just find it interesting that he he just I find it believable that he didn't trust Constantinos to like fix no offense to the author, but that sounds pretty insane. I would want to get out of the house. I don't know um, if I'd be like, Well, let me let me see these well, things and maybe it'll clear. I mean stuff. he initially came to him for help was the yeah. thing. And before That's he could true. even start really doing the techniques that Constantinos would have prescribed, he left. Not saying, again, I don't know of how the rituals or techniques work, but he it doesn't seem like he gave it a shot anyway, as opposed yeah. to his friend's mom, who did give it a shot and ended up being fine. But, That's true. Should listen to Constantinos. He's the guy. Yeah, and I mean that the the bed attacking him, all the figures, the the glowing red eyes. It sounds like coordinated, like yeah, six to group seven effort. dark forms. That's like that's a lot. It's so, it's like creepy. Like thinking like what are the implications of that? Are there groups of people that do that? I don't know, but I definitely don't want to be S ever in my life. Yes, same here. Yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> and we'll get we'll end this episode with talking about some of the protections that Constantinos recommends for 
psychic vampires. So these are some of the things that he probably would have said to S had he stayed to listen. The first one is doing a purification, which is to just clear away some of the negativities that gets accumulated throughout the day. So again, this is a very new age sort of idea. Uh, yeah. There's a banishing okay. ritual that can be done where all the impurities and negative negativities must be banished from the area. And to accomplish that, you do the ritual. You can also, what he says is break the ties where you essentially just remove any links that a psychic vampire might have established with you. I didn't read too much far further in on what that meant. If you need to know how to defend yourself from psychic vampires, again, please get the book. <laughs> and lastly... And please call us, like, we would love to talk to you about <laughs> your experiences. Dude, that'd be and crazy. The last type of protection you can do is astral body programming. <laughs> programming? Yeah. So not deprogramming. Yeah, you're not deprogrammed. <laughs> but essentially astral body programming is a way for a person to teach their astral body to defend and ward off attacks from psychic vampires that you occasionally need to reinforce that programming. Interesting. Reinforce the programming. I bet Constantinos is an expert programmer, astral body programmer, I should say. Probably. He probably offers a discount rate to uh, <laughs> reprogram. Wow. Well, that's, that's all I got for you for vampires for tonight. Well, wow. Okay. What is the story to end off of? End off on, first of all. Yeah, and again, we'll post uh, a link to the book in the show notes pictures of some of the if we can find them some of the creatures that were mentioned from around the world if we can find them if we want we can post Constantinos's bibliography as well just for additional sources for you to look at certainly and maybe i'll give yeah my final th i know nick you're like it looks like you're liking a bit so i don't know hopefully you can hear me fine but i mean it'll yeah. be fine i've been able to hear you fine the whole time my final thoughts Oh, that's good. My final thoughts. I'm sure that a lot of uh, old stories before we had a good understanding of, you know, process decomposition and all that uh, can explain away a lot of findings of, you know, weird things in tombs and graveyards. But what always strikes me with everything we research, right? Every different uh, phenomena, they're always very similar stories of it across all nations, all cultures, all time periods. Yep. Very geographically separated, very separated over time. So obviously there's there's something to it. And I think the range of possible things is like there's just nothing physically real about these things and there's just a obsession in like the human mind about Doing stuff after you're dead, like coming back after you're dead, and blood being the life force mm -hmm. for all living beings. But the other side of that spectrum is, yeah, those are two huge things, death and 
blood and energy that maybe some of these things do exist right because when we're thinking about weird supernatural things that would exist i don't know vampires while crazy the stuff makes the most sense to me where it's like talking about life force and the life the essence of life you know if they're gonna be funky things in the universe it would it would be related to that in my humble opinion <laughs> what about you aaron um based on the stories i'd be more likely to believe in the physical vampires than the the uh psychic vampires really really yeah. <laughs> i don't know i feel like the psychic vampires are just way out there and like i don't know it's an eyewitness account but it's really just taking someone's word for it you know like oh i experienced this and i get yeah like the guy is That's willing fair. to throw his life away for uh trust me bro but like <laughs> i don't know it it just seems very strange and maybe like i don't know it doesn't seem like vampires it might be its own thing like the author is talking about like maybe Maybe it's psychic vampires, but I don't know. It just seems too strange. I mean, yeah, it's one na- like no, there's some, a there's a lot of consistency. Yeah, but there's a lot of consistencies with the physical vampires, but not necessarily with the the psychic vampires as much. I feel except the color purple. The yeah. color purple. It's yep. Consistent. And is it any oh, coincidence that purple was a color of royalty? In there. <gasps> no, it's just because in the... that's just be <laughs> history that's lesson. So you just couldn't make the color purple very easily. Speak for yourself. I can make purple really easily. Yeah, well, <laughs> back then you had to like find snails and stuff to do it. So that's why it was royalties because you couldn't get it. Well, yeah, but I, for your astral aura, for your astral projections. The only thing I'll say, we I'm sure everyone here, everyone listening knows someone in their life that is a psychic vampire. Come on. Someone who you spend time with or you're around and you feel drained afterwards. You know? Frank. Aaron. <laughs> no, Frank, Frank no, right, think about social it. gathering. <laughs> yeah, I feel like everyone is sucking me. No, wait. That's... <laughs> I'm going to cut that. <laughs> All um, right. And that's a wrap. I'm not going to cut that. You know what I mean. But you know, no, like seriously, I mean, I do think there's a, I don't know if it's a personality type or whether it's a condition where there are some people that are just more draining, right? I think that can fall into the category of psychic vampires. Not the intentional, um, oh, but yeah, more the uh, the poor cancer patient, the lady. Like that's obviously an extreme example. Yeah. That you can't help but like, what do you think about it? Wouldn't that make sense? People who are very ill of health or ill in any ways, deficient in, in things, kind of wanting life. I mean, wanting I guess I'm just still hung up on the fact that the guy could just like see the tentacles. Oh my God. Aaron, you have no idea what people claim they could see. What crazy auric fields and yeah. But yeah, I understand that I does know. sound crazy. It just seems weird to be, oh, I'm sleepy, so I envisioned this. 
Good. I hope it's I weird. That's the whole point of this podcast. I hope you get old hag sitting on your chest tonight, Aaron. Oh, God. For content. Awful. For content. Why would you Why would you say that? Well, because they don't hurt them. They don't hurt you. Besides the bed story. You got bruised. But, you know, like. I mean, it drains you of your life force. But, I, I mean, I guess it does really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No, okay. Fine. I. I Old tag, don't go haunt Aaron tonight. Never mind, I take it back. There. But yeah, those are my thoughts. Well, I think that wraps up tonight's show. We'll see you guys two weeks from now for another episode of Wednesday at 9 p.m. Good night. That's all for tonight. Check out the show notes and all references used via the link in the description. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next Wednesday at 9 p.m. Sixty-eight, sixty-nine, sixty-five, eighty-four, seventy-two, thirty-two, sixty-six, sixty-nine, sixty-eight.